Welcome to the Feeding and Leading Podcast, featuring Todd Fisher and Andy Taylor, a podcast for church leaders focusing on expository preaching, pastoral leadership, and ministry. Welcome, everyone, to the Feeding and Leading Podcast. My name is Andy Taylor. I am the East Central Regional Ministry Partner for Oklahoma Baptist, and as usual, I am joined by our Executive Director, Treasurer, Dr. Todd Fisher. We've got a different one that we're going to do today. You know, there have been times where we've had guests who have come and joined us for uh, different topics that we wanted to talk about. Today, this is going to be interesting. Uh, We have three guests who have joined us, pastors from Oklahoma, and uh, we are very pleased to have them with us today. We're going to talk about some polity and governance issues Uh, So today we're joined, I'm going to go from my audio, your radio dial left to right. First of all, we have Jeremy Freeman, pastor of First Baptist Church, Newcastle. And then we have Nikataya from First Baptist Church, Seminole. And we also have Brent Prentice from Eagle Heights from Stillwater. So gentlemen, glad that you're here and with us today. Anyone want to say anything? (laughs) Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, it's an honor. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, you guys, so that people can connect voice and name, y'all probably need to introduce yourselves. Just to, just say who you are, so everybody knows what voice. Yeah, t- tell like, goes tell with us how name. long you've been at at your respective churches. Uh, this is Jeremy Freeman. I've been at First Baptist Newcastle. It'll be fourteen years this coming Sunday. That's hard. How to about believe. that? Wow. Fourteen years. Yep. I'm Nick Ataya, and I've been at First Seminole for seven and a half years. Even harder to believe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Brent Prentice. Uh, I've been at Eagle Heights for about 20 years as a member, but almost the pastor for almost 15. Yeah. And so, Brent, you're the black sheep because you're the only pastor not of First Baptist something here. So thanks that's, for that's, being here well, for that. Yeah, that's true. That's good, I guess. Yeah. I say like, wear that as a badge of honor, Brent. Yeah. yeah. So hey, you're listening to this podcast. One of the things you'll note is that this podcast is going to be quite a bit longer than the other podcasts that we've done. And this is a very, very important topic. I want to kind of frame it up before we talk to these three pastors. By the way, these three guys are not just solid, experienced, great pastors in our state. They're also really great friends of Andy and I. And man, I've known the three of you guys for a really long time. I don't know how many years, but a long time. These guys are just super solid, incredibly trustworthy. They're proven leaders and pastors and have done a tremendous job in their churches. One of the reasons that these three men are here and what we're going to talk about today is these men have led their churches in a movement, uh, a transition to being elder-led churches in in their congregations, and they've made that transition. And we're we're not doing this podcast today because we think this is what all churches should do. That that is not at all what the point of this is. One of the main reasons we're doing this podcast is because this question is one that I am asked a bunch by Oklahoma pastors. A lot of Oklahoma pastors have asked me, uh, what is it like to make a transition to where we have elders at our church? And so we're trying to do this podcast today just as a resource for the pastors that are asking that question. And we're going to ask some very pointed questions of these three pastors on the podcast today. I think this will be incredibly helpful uh, for any pastor to hear uh, just on the whole biblical idea of, of uh, leadership in the church but particularly for any pastor that might be considering making a transition to having elders in the church. So with that kind of as a little bit of a frame-up, we're not doing this to say, hey, this is what you you, you should be doing or have to be or need to be doing. Uh, we just want this to be a resource for those who are considering it. So with that kind of a, a frame-up, we want to just ask some, some good questions of these guys. Yeah, so thanks uh, again for you guys coming. I, I, we'll just go uh, through each of these questions, have each of you answer it. Uh, if, if that's, you know, if, I, I, guess you could, I guess you could actually look at us and say, no, I don't want to answer that. Uh, but uh, Brent, I want to I start with you. Uh, you. You've just barely been at your church longer than, than these other guys. Yeah. That's okay. Um, what was it? 
at what what was the con what was the rule what was the leadership structure like at Eagle Heights when you got there was it already an elder led church and and uh, and then what decided what, what did you how did you decide to kind of make transitions yeah well I, I'm a little surprised I'm here honestly these guys are actually the expert on this topic when when I came to Eagle Heights we already had elders. And so I would even say this, um, you know, there's, there's language that's really important. Um, even now, we're not elder ruled. We're scripturally ruled under the authority of Jesus, and we're elder led. Re- really, we're congregationally ruled. The congregation has the last say. So we're still a congregational church. Um, but when, when I took over, we had had elders for three years. Now, the backstory, real quickly, is, is they had had a single pastor model without deacons, without elders, uh, without, I think this is right, a constitution. And what happened was, uh, is they were, so the church was about five years old. They were trying to make a transition. And with this single pastor model, the pastor sort of had so much authority, something went wrong in the church, and he kind of got the the limb sawed off behind him, so to speak. And they began to realize, oh, we, we cannot continue this uh, situation where we have really a single pastor model with all this weight on his shoulders. So they started to explore different models of biblical ecclesiology. And ultimately, they, they landed on this plurality of elders, elder-led, congregational-ruled idea with deacons serving. And so they, they decided on it because they thought it was the biblical model. So I inherited that. Um, and so when I came in, I was really just trying to strengthen the model that already existed. Good. Nick, you, uh, your situation is a little different than, than Brent's. Um, so tell us what First Baptist Seminole, uh, what was the leadership structure like when you got there a little over seven years ago? And, and, then, um, and then what have you moved towards now? Yeah, so when I got to Seminole, uh, it was very much uh, pastor-led in, in, in all ways. The pastor not only was the administrator of the church, he was the ex officio leader of every committee. He uh, uh, oversaw all staff relationships um, and just basically carried the entire burden of shepherding for the church. Now, some might argue that naturally there are staff leaders and whatnot that would have shared some of that burden. But ultimately, whenever uh, issues came up in the church or a staff member wasn't fit or, or knit in a certain way to carry out certain shepherding roles, it always fell back on the lead pastor. And so when I got to Seminole, um, we actually, my, my story is probably the, the one that stands out the most between these two because we did not make a transition into the priority of, of an elder-led church because we were in health. We made the transition because we were in dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And our dysfunction came from about two decades of leadership issues mainly pastoral leadership issues and a, and a, and a, a variety of, of pastoral issues that created conflict and division in the church, um, hardship in the church, pain in the church, but also other ministerial staff dysfunction as well. And so we were at a place where we, we just we had we were we had nothing left but to ask the question, this isn't working, what do we do next? Mm-hmm. And uh, I already had a persuasion going into Seminole. I'd had conversations with Jeremy back in 2015, 2016 um, about uh, questions that I had about this form of leadership in the church. And so my persuasion was already leaning in this direction anyway. And I was just waiting for the Lord to give me kind of the right time to to ask that question to the right people in the church. Mm-hmm. And out of our dysfunction, that that was the right time. The, the Lord just made that very clear. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, Jeremy, uh, your if I'm not mistaken, your situation is a little bit more like Nick's than Brent in in the sense that you first as Newcastle was uh, was kind of pastor led, deacon led, mm-hmm. and and from there uh, you 
began to, to move towards the model that you're in now. So tell us about that. Yeah, I would say that the difference between Nick and I was our church was we didn't have the um, – uh, the, the dysfunction in leadership. We, you know, we probably could have continued the way it was and been probably okay. Uh, the problem was I, I didn't feel like it was best for our church in terms of shouldering the load of pastoring and shepherding. Uh, it was still very pastor heavy, but uh, our deacons in many ways, even though they would have never used the term elder, most of them were functioning in that kind of capacity. Uh, lots of committees, uh, committee on committees, you know, your, your typical First Baptist uh, kind of church. And, uh, and, and again, I wasn't coming in or out of a major problem. It was just through my study of Scripture and my understanding of how the church is supposed to function, I felt like there's got to be a better way to shoulder the load of ministry. You see all these churches, everything rises and falls on one guy. And I just felt like that cannot be healthy and should not be the way to, to, to look at it. So we just began to I – mean, I can go into this. We just went into a process of studying it just to see where the Lord would take us. And uh, we began to make the transition to an elder-led – I love what Brent said. We like to use the phrase, the church is uh, ruled by Jesus Christ, governed by the congregation, uh, led by elders, served by deacons. That's kind, mm-hmm. of our, that's kind of our language. Say that one more time. Yeah, the, the church is ruled by Jesus Christ. We're under his authority. But it's still uh, uh, governed by the congregation, led by elders, served by deacons, ministered to by the body. It's helpful. It's yeah. good. That's our phrase. So I, I think two major questions that listeners, especially pastors that are listening to this, are going to want to know from you guys. I think, one, they're going to know what was the process like. And two, I think they're going to know how did you manage the conflict because yeah. you inevitably are going to have conflict when you bring something like this up. Before I ask the process question, Brent, you didn't really go through the process. But let, let's come back for just a second. I want you to answer for us what Jeremy just touched on, just give us a, I'm kind of going off script a little bit here, but just give our listeners a real quick 101 on what your biblical conviction is about why elder-led is the right model of governance for a church. Yeah. I don't know how exactly I got started on this, but uh, it was 2004. I was a student at Midwestern. I was in Systematic two. And we were given topics on which to write a a pretty hefty research paper. And one of the topics was plurality of elders. Now, I was already – I'd already been sitting under the teaching of Donald Whitney, who's now at Southern. And maybe it came from him a little bit from some of the congregational stuff we were doing in some of his classes. But I wrote a paper on is – you know, should you have a plurality of elders, Mm -hmm. of pastors, of overseers? And I use those terms interchangeably, by Mm -hmm. the way. And I think if you go to Acts 20 and uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, those terms are all used there in some form or Mm -hmm. another, whether noun or verb. But anyway, I wrote the paper and I concluded uh, strongly from, well, I couldn't find a place in the New Testament where you had a single pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, the argument is, is maybe... Revelation 3, where the angels are pastors, mm-hmm. that's, that's the best argument I've heard. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think they're right. angels. Right. <laughs> that, that's my interpretation. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm looking at uh, the biblical evidence and even going back in the Old Testament, Nick may want to touch on this because he's actually written a blog or a post about this. You know, you look at Moses seeking mm-hmm. Jethro's counsel mm-hmm. and Jethro's like, you can't do this on your own. So I, I just don't see anywhere in scripture where anybody's supposed to fly solo. Mm-hmm. But especially in the New Testament, it just seems to me, you know, Jesus had 12 apostles. Those apostles, gave, they had the authority to write the scriptures. Peter, particularly, uh, Paul, particularly, mm-hmm. are advocating for a plurality of elders along with a plurality of deacons. It's always interesting to me. We don't argue with the plurality of deacons, but somehow we want to sort of push back against a plurality of elders. So that's that's where it came from. And Nick, what, what would you add to that on the biblical side? Yeah, so that was actually one of the first pieces of literature that I wrote um, about uh, where my personal convictions were coming through into my teaching in the church is, and I don't remember what year it was, um, but the Mathena Center at Southern Seminary had asked me to write a couple of articles, and the first one I wrote was on um, Jethro, was mm-hmm. on Moses' father-in-law and his instruction to him in Exodus 18. Right. And uh, I wanted to start there because I think some of the arguments that we've had in the church is always, well, 
you know, that's your personal interpretation of the New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, let's start with the Old Testament then. You know, people don't ever argue with the Old Testament, right? <laughs> so uh, I started there, and I, I that article, uh, and I share that article with people in the church and with our staff, and we begin to talk about it from that perspective of just what's healthy. Mm -hmm. What's the most healthy thing for not only somebody who is a spiritual leader, but what's the most healthy thing? By the way, the one of the reasons that Jethro says that to Moses is he says, not only are you going to be worn out, but man, they're going to get tired of you. Mm -hmm. They're going to get worn out by you. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's you, you have to ask yourself, what's what's healthy for the leader and what's healthy for the, the congregation as well? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where it started. That's where my my biblical ecclesiology, if you will, started mm -hmm. in the actually in the Old Testament, okay. um, with that that narrative there. And I think guys that are proponents of elder led churches, there are instances I think of chapter and verse you could point to, but it's it's kind of more of a almost in a spirit of biblical theology when you when you read the whole thread, when you read the whole, you put all these things together, you know, you say, hey, this is what the pattern it seems to be building. So, Nick, um, just kind of walk us through briefly what the process was of how uh, you transitioned the church to an elder-led model. Like, how did where you, you said you started with? You wrote something, you shared that piece. Mm -hmm. What was the process of how you did that in the church? So, I gathered um, eight men in the living room of my house in July of 2020 when we were at our very, we were at that something's got to change here. We can't continue this pattern of up and down with leadership and whatnot. And uh, I took two weeks and got away, and these eight men took two weeks to pray. And then when we gathered in August, it had gone from eight men to like 12 men. Some that some trusted men had brought in some other trusted men into the mm -hmm. conversation. And we met on a Monday night in the chapel of the church, and they're all looking at me, and they just said, what's next? Mm. And I listed out three or four things. I said, we've got to have conversations about these things. We've got to have conversations about membership. We've got to have conversations about deacon ministry, spiritual leadership, church discipline. We've got to go through all these different biblical ecclesiological points. And we didn't know where to start, honestly. I knew where I wanted to start. But one thing I knew through this whole process is that I did not want this to be another, you know, this is what the pastor says, and so this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And so I knew two things for sure. I knew that it needed to be a lot of us having the same persuasion and same conviction. And two, I knew it was going to take time. All right. Yep. And so we started there. We met for a few weeks. We finally settled in on we've got to get, as Paul writes uh, in uh, to Titus, for us to set things right, we had to start with spiritual leadership in the church. And that was where we started. Mm. And so we just began the process of gathering resources, uh, spending time in prayer, looking through the scriptures on what healthy biblical ecclesiology is. And in 2020, we started everything we did in the pulpit and in the classroom everywhere. We started with this question, what does the Bible say and how can we be most faithful to mm -hmm. it? And that was the premise for everything we've done over mm. the last three years. Good. That's so. good. Jeremy, what about y'all's process? How did you how did you guys do that? What were some of the steps that you took? Yeah, just real quickly, we wrote a document called Rediscovering Church Leadership. If you Google it, you Google Rediscovering Church Leadership, First Baptist Newcastle, Newcastle it pulls up online. 27 pages kind of walks through our whole process. Um, but in, much like Nick, in November of 2014, I put together a team of 20 men uh, from very diverse backgrounds in our church. And I thought, if we can't get these 20 men to agree, we'll never get the church to agree. And we just began studying. We would meet uh, once a week, 530 in the morning. We read 20 different books, did all kinds of research, broke up into subgroups, and we just studied it. And we said, okay, Lord, where is this going to take us? And uh, what came out of that was the Rediscovering Church Leadership document that we presented to our church. And we had the three Bs. We believe that elder-led congregations are biblical, Baptist, and best. Uh, a lot of our people may not care if it's biblical. They want to know, is it Baptist? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had to help them see that it's actually his. And, and isn't it interesting that in the SBC, this last week, we've now reinserted the word elders yeah. Yeah. back. And so it's, I would say this, Todd, one big thing for us is we established a culture of preaching in the church. 
And when, when God's word rules, then you ask the question Nick was asking, mm-hmm. what does God's word say about this? Not what have we done, not what have others done, but what does the word of God say? And that's where that's kind of where we landed. Well, and that connects to kind of a hallmark of what we do on this podcast as expository preaching. Yes. And all of that connects together. All right. So that second thing that I mentioned yes. that a lot of guys want to know, and by the way, thanks for mentioning that. We'll yes. probably try to get that in the podcast notes. Yes. Uh, so you guys can check it out. You're going to get criticism. Yes. And it's interesting that you said that probably, uh, I would say the top two criticisms, when I get phone calls from pastors saying, hey, kind of talk to me about this, walk me through this, what are your thoughts on it? Top two criticisms I'll probably hear is, one, this is a power play. You know, you're, you're, you're just trying to get all the power. But the second one is, this isn't Baptist. <laughs> and it would be interesting to hear you guys respond to that. Is is having an an elder led church not a Baptist thing? Because that is a common perception amongst a good number of laity. I think that are you know study about this to some degree. So um, all all three of you, Brent, let's start with you. Um, respond to that: Is this Baptist or not? And then, as you have gotten criticisms about the elder-led format. How, how did you handle that, manage that? What are some of those criticisms? Just kind of walk us through that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> the conversations to reflect, you know, to reflect on the conversations I have are, are quite humorous. You know, I had one guy, he's like, what are we trying to do, be Presbyterian? And I was like, no, uh, we believe in believer's baptism. We we don't sprinkle children. Um, you know, <laughs> we're, we're Baptists. Um, and, you know, another, I think another one, people just, I think they, they associate the word elders with Mormons. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because Church of Christ, same yeah. thing. We yeah. just we just haven't used the biblical language, um, and maybe that is a reflection of not doing expository yeah. through the Bible preaching. I don't know. Uh, the 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 thing I ran into. So I came three years after they had instituted elders at Eagle Heights, and as a matter of fact, your father-in-law that's right was an elder yeah, that's um, right. and he's he's no longer with us uh, he moved to Louisville but uh, anyway uh, the, the thing I kept hearing as I was even going through the pastor search process with the team was we don't know what these guys do what do they do what are they a board of trustees you know what yeah, do, 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 do they just protect the church from you or <laughs> do, do they protect you from the church yeah. and so so what we had to do was we when we would have we don't have business meetings we have quarterly family member meetings where it's more of a communication process than it is an actual mm-hmm. uh, Roberts rule of orders or something like that um, so so what what we did was we just we just explained it a lot. And, and one of the things that I've come, become accustomed to of doing, and we do every Sunday is when I stand up to preach, is I say, my name is Brent. Uh, for those of you who are guests, I'm one of the pastors, one of the elders. Sometimes I say I'm an overseer. Sometimes I'll say I'm a member. But I always speak of myself as one of the pastors. And I always tell our congregation, these guys are just as much a pastor as I am. They have just as much authority as I, I do. I just stand up in front of you all and preach so I have more face time. Mm-hmm. And, and what I found myself having to do, it, there wasn't any real strong criticism. There was just a lot of wondering, like, what do these guys do? You know, what, what do you sit in the meeting and make decisions for the whole church? So we just had to develop a trust for that the, that the elders were working together and that these guys weren't a bunch of yes men. Mm-hmm. Because I think to that point, yeah. it, it can seem like a power play. You're just going to get your guys on the team yeah. and you're going to ram through what you want to do and no mm-hmm. one's going to hold you accountable. So you got to make sure that you know people understand that sometimes the senior pastor, the lead elder, he gets voted down. I don't always get my way. So I, I think it's just a number of things that you're constantly communicating mm-hmm. to your people. Uh, you know, what's going on with the elders. And, and one thing that I do almost yearly is I do some sort of ecclesiological sermon series. You know, typically we're preaching through books of the Bible, but we'll take three to four weeks almost every year and talk about That's ecclesiology. Good. Kind of keep so, it in front of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think one of the challenges for elder-led congregations, just kind of the way we are wired, is when you do have a, a, a senior elder or the senior pastor, however you want to phrase it, when you got a guy that's up there most every Sunday who's doing the preaching, mm-hmm. it there's this perception. I mean, it's just, that's the leader. The guy that's up there talking, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. And I think those are some of the things that elderly congregations have to kind of work through and try to process out on that. Yeah, and so, if, if I could just say, I we do occasionally let our enge- guys who are engineers who are on our elder team 
or they're you know they're a professor, they're a, they're a policeman. Mm-hmm. On we we let those guys preach let occasionally, preach. and and we yeah. try to make sure that they're getting face time with the congregation, mm-hmm. even if they're leading our congregational confession mm-hmm. or our congregational prayer time. Yeah. We're putting them up in front of people, but in ways that they can succeed given their giftedness. Okay, that's good. Jeremy, walk us through a little bit of the conflict you faced. Well, I was going to piggyback on that because it's always interesting to me power. Uh, I actually had more power before we made the transition. And uh, to me, elders diversify and they spread out that power. I have more accountability now Mm. than I've ever had in my entire time as pastor. We have our elder meeting tonight, actually, and we'll sit around the table. Yes, I lead that meeting, but I'm one voice of many. They hold me accountable. You know, Uh, we talk about each other's lives and what's happening in our families. And so anyway... I think the, the power argument's funny to me because mm-hmm. it actually uh, spreads that out. Uh, you know, the Baptist, it, you know, is it Baptist? We, in, in the document, we go back and look at all of our ancient confessions, the London Confession, New Hampshire mm-hmm. Confession, and it's always mentioned that there's elders, bishops, in the plural, mm-hmm. it, uh, pastors in the plural is never singular. It wasn't until I think what the 1925 or 63 uh, BF&M that we actually changed it. We took out elders and bishops and just said pastors, mm-hmm. but it's still in the plural. It's always in the mm-hmm. plural. So historically, if you just look back even at our confessions, Baptists have always seen a plurality of pastors, plurality of deacons. We just haven't operated that way. And there's a whole host of reasons as to why we deviated from that, which we do talk about in, in the document. But uh, we're like Brent. We didn't have a lot of negative uh, pushback. We had a lot of questions. And um, I would say one of the things that really helped us was we were very transparent. We were very slow in the process. So anybody that's thinking about this that thinks I can get this done by next week or in a few months, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It was and a two-year process for us. And how long had you been the pastor of the church before you started the process? Yeah, I came in 2009, and we didn't start this till 2014. So you had five years. Five years, yeah. Of you had built the credibility, Faithful the clout, preaching, the trust. Yeah, walking yeah. with people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's big. And Nick, how about you? Uh, on what part? On the criticism. How did you on manage the criticism? that? Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm just going to be real blunt here. Um, most of my critics left <laughs> okay. before we started this. Uh-huh. And so we had we were um, out of that dysfunction. We were actually fairly uh, – It w- we had become a very pleasant congregation <laughs> by this by this time. But mm-hmm. criticism in, in, in this sense – and again, going back to that Baptist thing is this Baptist – I think we have to remember that most of the time, and I, and I mean this with great sincerity, most of the time when, when people in our congregation say, is this Baptist or this is not Baptist, what they mean is this is not our church last 40 years Baptist. Mm-hmm. That's what they mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what they know. And t- for me, this whole process, the conflict, all of it goes back to are we faithfully teaching, not just preaching. Are we faithfully teaching in our churches mm-hmm. from top to bottom? That's good. Um, I think it's important to remember that sometimes pastors get conviction to lead and, and, and biblically lead their churches down roads of whether they see it as correction or they see it as best, whatever it may be, and they end up telling the congregation something instead of teaching the congregation mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference in those two yeah, things. that's good. Uh, I think one of the questions you guys or maybe it's maybe it's inferred in this also is that those pitfalls one of the pitfalls is we lay the pitfalls sometimes because we get up and we mm-hmm. want to tell our church what they should be doing without showing them in the scriptures from top to bottom everything we do in the church where it's revealed in the scriptures mm-hmm. and giving them that personal conviction and persuasion as well. That's really good. And wh- where I've heard of guys that have gotten in trouble leading churches in this way is because they got way out in front of the congregation mm-hmm. on what the Bible says. That's right. Yep. And so, good. Uh, That's good yeah, stuff, so man. teach not tell. But I haven't really, I mean, criticism was very, it, it was very little. It, it, it was the um, really more of the confusion over the term elder than anything. Yeah. Yeah. And just real quick, too, I, I want to just touch on the power play thing for a second. I think sometimes when lay people hear the word elder or they hear we're going to go to an elder led, I think there's a default to say this is going to be a complete abrogation of congregationalism. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're not we're not going to a Presbyterian and we're not going to, you know, um, an Episcopalian mm-hmm. model of church governance. We're still congregational. So l- let me ask this kind of a little bit of a specific question I think people would want to know. In in your elder-led church, 
what would what what are the things the congregation would vote on? Yeah. I think that'd be helpful to kind of hear what where, where 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 do you draw that line? How do you how do you handle that? I'll start with you, Brent. Well, that's where your constitution comes in. And um, one thing I've learned is if you're going to have a constitution, you, you either need to be practicing or you need to you need to amend it and change right. it. Right. And so, um, you know, our constitution dictates that uh, we vote on uh, the addition of pastors or ministerial staff, mm-hmm. uh, not support staff mm-hmm. like our office manager. We love her. She's in ministry, too, mm-hmm. but she's uh, she's not doing word ministry teaching right. kind of stuff. So we have to vote on any kind of office, including elder and deacon. Mm-hmm. We have to vote on the budget. Um, and to be honest with you, that's basically it. Mm-hmm. But where we really have accountability is, again, in our members' meetings. And I say this to our church all the time. I was told this was not a good idea. You can ask me any question at any moment about anything, even if you disagree with mm-hmm. me. But we have this Q&A time where we have about 15 or 20 minutes, and they can ask any question that they want, and they can push back on it. Uh, a removal of an elder would be another, removal mm-hmm. of a staff member, but it's laid out clearly mm-hmm. in the Constitution, and we're constantly reminding people what the Scriptures say and what the Constitution says because of the Scriptures. Yeah. How about you guys? Yeah, similar to Brent, you know, we we. We vote on, I mean, honestly, we kind of vote on the same things we always voted on. Mm-hmm. There's just a different trust system through, mm-hmm. if you want to use the word, it's, a, it's just kind of an industrial word, but through the system. So uh, we do have elders. We still have deacons. We still have committees. Um, and uh, the elders are not just simply ex officios of all those different, um, the, the office of deacon or the committees. They actually serve in partnership with them. And so there is a uh, there's a greater trust system involved in our committees with our deacon ministry now. And by the way, one of the things this does is it gives every church an opportunity to lay out uh, great distinctions and and help the church understand uh, gives to the church not the church not just clarity on the terminology, but gives them clarity on the role and the function of a deacon, the role and the function of a pastor, the role and the function of committees. And when you can give your congregation more clarity on those things, their expectations change. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they, and, and so there's a bigger trust system built mm-hmm. into it. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of member, we call them member meetings, and we actually do ours once a month. Now, we're not required to do them. When we went through this process uh, of transition of, to the elder led model, we also had to rewrite all of our constitutional bylaws. We wrote an elder council handbook. All that's approved by the church. But we're like Brent. We vote on all those things. If you have to borrow money, a lot of it's money-related, things like that we have to vote on as a church. Um, But we do a monthly member meeting, and I'm telling you what, it's become a it's wonderful. We come together. It's we, we present. Yeah, you present financial things and let people see what's going on, ask questions. But we have a time of prayer, a time of ministry. And uh, it's actually really helped clarify, uh, like Nick said, what why are we doing what we're doing? We have two teams now, personnel and finance. They're made up of gifted uh, men and women in the church. We have an elder that sits on each of those um, just uh, just to keep the connections there. But um, it is uh, the, the the way our process works is very smooth. Yeah. So a word that I'm I'm hearing from you guys consistently, either directly or indirectly, is you communicate. There's a. It sounds like there's a lot of communication here. Not not just as you were making the change. I think that obviously that was key. But even even now, so obviously you talked about preaching a series, a ecclesiological series, uh, about once a year. Um, obviously, the pulpit is uh, uh, key uh, to to not only making the transition, but to continuing along. And then each one of you talked about members' meetings and, and the frequency in which you do that. What are some of the other ways, tangibly, as you were approaching the idea? You're not there yet. What are some of the other ways that you just flooded your people with communication as to what the what and the why that you were doing this? That's a that's a great question. So what so this group of men had gone from eight to twelve and now it was sixteen that we were meeting every other Monday night to pray through and talk through these things. And when we began to get clarity on our understanding of presenting this to the church, uh, we we pre- we 
prepared documents for every man to have. We published a list of the men who had been going through this. I'm preaching through um, the pastorals. It took me a year and a half to preach through the pastorals. What we did was we sent those men into the Sunday school classrooms, and we took about three months. We gave every, every small group three Sundays. We would send somebody in to teach on these things one Sunday, and then we would spend two Sundays allowing them to ask questions. And that proved to be extremely beneficial. Um, they had questions in those small groups. That's, the small groups are the ones who are gonna talk about these things when you're not around anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, let's just get into those rooms. Let's spend that time with them. And we did that in the fall of 2022 for about three months. Yeah. And that was very helpful. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We 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 are a very small group, Sunday school uh, heavy church, and so we rely on our teachers a lot to help us communicate information. So we put resources to our small group leaders. We had a combined uh, joint Sunday school rally one Sunday morning where we let different people present from the the group that had been researching this. People could ask questions. We would often do Sunday afternoon Q and A. Come to the church if you want to come up and just talk more casual kind of coffee, question, Q&A, things like that. Uh, I did what Nick did. I preached all through the pastoral epistles on Sunday evenings. We also allowed us to address subjects like church members don't think about church discipline. Right. And how do you, what is the role of membership? All those things. All that was elevated and continues to be uh, in the process as we preach God's word and as we help people understand the, the bigger picture of those things. So the more resource and the more people you get involved, the, the more you get that information out to the masses. That's really good. Okay. Uh, let me ask this question real quick, especially to Nick and, and Jeremy real fast. Looking back, what would you do different? Mm-hmm. That's a difficult. I, you know, I saw that question. Or would or or yeah. would or would you yeah. do anything yeah. different? Yeah, maybe so. You in 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 the situation that I went through at First Baptist Seminole, I don't know that there's anything we could have done different. Right. You know, right. Um, because of where we were. One thing I think that if we could go back and do anything over again, one thing we might do over again is this group of men had met for about maybe eight, nine months before we informed the church that we were doing, that we were meeting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, some of that was okay. I mean, because of the kind of the grassroots that it was, that's okay. I might've, I might've could go back and go after about four or five months, we should probably start letting people know Mm -hmm. what we're, what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Now there was no problem with that, but I just think again, communication, being upfront with that more, um, right. So I, I I can't think of anything that I would do differently in our situation. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about this a lot too. I feel like we tried to be, even maybe sometimes we over communicated. We had church members at some point saying, "Okay, we know. Let's go on. Let's get this. <laughs> let's get this done." You know. So Good, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We could have. Yeah. So you know, it's one of those things. But one one thing is, it someone's going to ask this question. Well, how do you get your first elders? You know, mm-hmm. and um, that's always a challenge because as for me. I did not want it to look like I was handpicking guys. So I had a whole process. I put together an elder implementation team to help me walk through that. There are some things I would have done a little differently with that. Mm -hmm. We had men in the church who felt the calling to submit their names. I don't know that I would have done that going back because there was probably some hurt feelings. Some guys that submitted their names that the implementation team did not feel like were uh, best at that moment. So, you know, but again, uh, it's, yeah. You could go either way on that. And that's going to be one of the hard ones there are men in the church that feel like, yes. well, I should be an elder. Yeah. But I think what you just said there, getting that off of just this is not a unilateral decision by it, you. You're absolutely. not handpicking these guys. Yep. Okay, Brent, young pastor walks up to you, says, uh, boy, I'm really praying about considering leading my church in a transition to, to being elder-led. Give me some of the high-level pieces of advice you give to him. Yeah. Well, I'd want to know how long he's been there. Yeah. <laughs> and he probably needs to have been there for three, four years. Uh, you know, uh, another example, not related to eldership, but 
we didn't practice full Matthew 18 church discipline removal by the church until I'd been there for eight years yeah. because it took us that long to get over some past hurts and hangups to where I could teach on it, to where we could actually fully implement it, even though we were practicing it among the elders to some degree and pursuing people and correcting sin and calling people to repentance. So I just, I just say like, hey, you need to teach, you, you need to establish that you're going to teach through the scriptures mm-hmm. and you're going to take all the scriptures so you don't look like you have a hobby horse right. that you want to, you know, that something that you want to ride and that you're pushing an agenda. So show them that you're faithful to the scriptures and then start to have some small conversations with your deacons, if you have them, and then some people that you trust that you mm-hmm. know that are godly and wise and mature. Nick, what do you say to that young pastor who asked you that same question? Well, yeah, first, I think you got to be there for some time. But the number one thing, and as they've asked me this, I say, you need to take your time slow. You cannot go too slow in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord will work out all the conviction in people's hearts if you take your time, teach slowly, bring people along, um, provide resources at every stop, um, but don't rush it. And and uh, and I may be I may be getting up and uh, this this may not come across as friendly, but I mean it in a friendly way. <laughs> don't do this if your ambition is not to be at this church for a while. That's right. Good. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. really, really if, great. If you've got ambitions to just, this is just a stop for you. Yes. Um, don't do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a tremendous, tremendous work. No, I agree with everything these guys have said. I think that we had people that this is when you know you feel like you've done something right. People would come up and say, how can we argue with this? It's in the Bible. Yeah. And that was such an encouragement yeah. to me. You know, people were like, it's right there. So we established a culture of preaching through, expositionally through God's word. You take your time. You're, you, you, you have to continue to develop those relationships with your people, too. They need to trust you, you know. And so that that is such an important thing. That relationship, pastor, church member as you're walking them through that uh, is is huge. Yeah, huge dose of humility and patience, yes. obviously. Yeah. All of you have mentioned um, some resources. Jeremy, the, the document that you, that you all created at First Baptist Newcastle, we want to post that if that's okay with Perfect. you. And uh, we, we used that document at First Seminole. We actually had them come out and walk us through that document as we were meeting. We had First Newcastle come out. Okay, so... I, Let's come back to that in a second because I think that's fascinating. Um, but first, tell us uh, just some of the resources that you all leaned on heavily, like maybe the one or two top resources that you leaned on heavily to help you as you thought through this process. And then and then if we have time, Nick, I'd like to maybe explore that about how the two churches work together as you were working through this. Yes, go ahead. Uh, for us, uh, may we... You know, we read Nine Marks, you know, the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Now, people say, oh, uh, th- that's all Calvinistic. Listen, first, Newcastle is not a Reformed Baptist church. We're not a Calvinistic Baptist church, but those resources are really helpful. Uh, one really good resource is the Master's Plan for the Church by John MacArthur. Uh, tremendous help both for elders and deacons. Uh, and then, of course, Biblical Eldership by Alexander Strzok. Those were two staples that I'd say are must-reads. And that the Biblical Eldership is the only book that's really been out for more than 10 years that people were using before. I mean, we've got mm-hmm. way more resources now than we had 10, mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. One book that's come out since uh, we made this transition is Rediscover Church by uh, uh, Colin Hansen and, and uh, yeah. Lehman. Um, it is a very introductory approach to just basic biblical understandings of the church as a whole. And it has in that some just kind of some teasers leading into these conversations. So I would recommend that book. I recommend that book for the entire congregation, actually. Rediscover, say, say it one more time. Rediscover Church by, by Hanson, Hanson and Lehman. Hanson and Lehman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah, our church read that post-COVID yeah. because they it came out of the COVID situation. Yeah. It's sort of a church reset. Yeah, I, we use for our elders training, we're getting ready to go through training with three guys, and, and we use elders by Jeremy Reaney. I think mm-hmm. Reaney, Reaney, I don't know how you say his last Ryan. name. Yeah, it's a, it's a is it Ryan? R-E-N-N-E. Okay, we're gonna... I think it's Ryan. I don't know. <laughs> his first name's Jeremy. And, uh, Great name. And it's, and, and, it's, and it's a brown book if that helps you. Uh, <laughs> very small. Uh, very yeah, small. It's very small, very yeah, accessible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I would just say two other things. Uh, 
resources, I think you've got to really deal with Acts 20, 25 through 35. Mm. Uh, again, because the, the term elder is there, the term um, overseer is there, and then shepherding in the verb form. And then also mm-hmm. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Those words come together there, and you've got to figure out what you're going to do with those passages, yeah. I think. And then finally, I'd say ask these guys. Uh, I know I was a part of a few conversations yep, with you when you were that. going we, through the we process. Relied on Eagle Heights, yep. mm-hmm. I was uh, a part of conversations with Nick. Yeah. I don't know how helpful yeah. I was to them. <laughs> uh, but very, also, very. Nick, Nick and I just met with a guy about, what, a month ago? And sat with yeah. him and a, probably a future elder, a, a guy that's going to become a senior pastor, future elder. We sat with him for about three hours and just talked through things. And so any of us, I think, would be more than happy yeah. to sit down and, and schedule a meeting and say, hey, you know, we'll we'll help you drink from the fire hydrant. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, so it, you guys really leaned on one another. And, and now it's just, it's just beautiful. I, this is what I love about, particularly about Oklahoma Baptist. You, you guys leaned on one another. This, this looked like, you know, something, man, I, we've never done, or it sounds like, like dangerous to try this kind of thing, but to get the encouragement from one another. Uh, how did it work with you two guys, Jeremy and Nick? Uh, so this Nick, was did actually, you approach Jeremy? Well, we had had conversations for several years about this, and when when it came time to really get down to the process, where do you, how do you actually implement this in a church? We reached out to First Newcastle, and we wanted Jeremy and one or two other of, of the elders that were in place there to come, and uh, a former deacon at First Baptist Church, Seminole, who is Jeremy's father-in-law, That's right. Larry McMains. <laughs> he came and gave extensive credibility to the whole process, because yeah. here he had been a deacon at um, First Baptist Seminole for 34 30-something yeah. years, mm-hmm. and now he's at this at First Newcastle where they have made this transition in full support of it. Um, I don't think by threat. I think, you know, no. I think he was really <laughs> in was full support of it. Yeah. And so he came with them, and it really helped kind of solidify uh, not only what this does in giving clarity to the role of the pastor-elder, but Larry, as a deacon, was able to speak to how it gave clarity to other areas of the church, like right. deacon ministry. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's doing for us right now. We're going through the process of refreshing our deacon ministry out of this because we have a new understanding of the clarity of these mm-hmm. offices. And it's been extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask one last question real quick, just to kind of wrap wrap this time up. This is not anything we asked you guys about in advance, but first of all, I, I appreciate all three of you so much putting the scripture at the forefront. This, this is you know you you you're, you're putting the Bible as the forefront here. You're putting church health as as a forefront. My my last question. This is something important to Andy and I. We talk about this on the podcast. It's important to me. What 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 has having an elder led congregation? How how has it helped you? personally your own your own well-being your own you, you know we're concerned about the stress the everything that gets piled on to pastors but what what is the what is the positive impact on you personally does having an elder-led congregation i'd love to hear each of three of you kind of just touch on that i'm so glad you asked that it, it's this really hit me the other day I've walked through two personal major crises at the church since I've been there. Mm-hmm. Our son Trey passed away from yep. cancer 10 years ago, and we did not have elders at that point. Mm-hmm. And then our son Caleb was in a near-fatal car accident uh, six years ago mm-hmm. in, in December, and we did have elders at that point. And I can tell you that I barely survived the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the second round, I, I would say I thrived personally and the church thrived mm-hmm. personally because the system was in place to help shepherd the congregation mm. through such a difficult time. Uh, that's no knock on 10 years ago, the way the church was great 10 years ago, mm-hmm. all those things, but there weren't systems in place to help me and help them. Mm. And man, I'm telling you what, we got elders implemented in 2016. A year later, I could have never imagined my son being in the accident, but the system was in place and everything just went off without a hitch. That's good. Um, so. Yeah. To God be the glory for That's that. Good. Nick? I'd like to speak specifically to the pastor that may be listening or has gone through these times when he's he's ready to hang it up on Monday morning because he feels alone. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, 
we, we've all experienced those times. Mm-hmm. But once a month on Saturday morning at eight o'clock, I get to meet with four other men um, who have the same calling to the same church mm-hmm. and they carry the same burden and they have the same love and there's a fellowship there. Mm. And regardless of what the last few weeks has been like for me and for them, when we come together, we are reminded that we are in this together for the love of the church and for the sake of the gospel. Mm. There's always someone there who I can share everything with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell them exactly where I'm hurting, exactly where I'm failing. It's important. And um, the loneliness starts yeah. to fade away. That's important. That's huge. Huge. Mm-hmm. In 2011, I we were going to bring um, – a building proposition to the church. We needed to expand. And uh, I went to Chick-fil-A that morning with my son and ate lunch and my stomach started hurting. And the next thing I knew I was in the hospital having to have an appendectomy. And I was so this is Friday. I was supposed to preach on Sunday and, and lead this meeting and talk about how we needed to do these things. And I remember one of the elders came up and, and, you know, we talked about it. And I was like, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to be able to (laughs) preach. I I don't think I'm going to be ready. And the doctor said, no, you're not going to preach. You're not going to be ready. And so I was able to pass this off to this guy who's a lay elder, who's an engineer by trade. And he did it. And and the Lord was really gracious in that. Shortly after, I I wrote a blog uh, asking the question, who pastors the pastor? Mm. And and, and I want to be clear, you can never escape sort of the lead pastor stigma or the responsibility. It doesn't relieve you of all Mm -hmm. that, right? Right. People Mm -hmm. still see you as the one who preaches. All the questions are Mm going to come to your way primarily. But over time, it starts to get disseminated, and they start to go to those other guys. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, it's just beneficial in so many ways. I I struggle quite a lot with anxiety, just to be blunt. And I I don't know how I would manage it if it weren't for those guys. Mm -hmm. They're helping me. And and they're aware of that, and they're able to help me, and they're able to shelter me to the the degree that they can and, and, and understand that. I need time off and I need to make sure I'm taking that time. And the other thing is because they're leading with you and because sometimes they get a chance to preach and be in front of the church, they've got some skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And so they can actually sympathize with you a little bit more. And I think they actually start to go, you know, what preaching, (laughs) preaching's hard. It probably takes them a lot longer to prepare than it does us because we do it all the time. But they're like, okay, I have a little more appreciation for what goes on. You know, the old stigma, if you're not preaching, what are you doing the rest of the week? Oh yeah, this guy's doing a lot, and yeah. and they can appreciate that. So I just, well, I think I think the benefits are multiple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, guys, thank y'all so much. I love each of you guys. Thank you for your service to your churches and how you contribute to Oklahoma Baptist. We we're we just so thankful for you guys. Um, again, you know, the purpose of this podcast was not to say this is this is what you ought to be doing. You all need to be doing. We're, we're not saying that at all. Every every church is autonomous. Every church has its own unique context. There's going to be a lot of pastors listening to this podcast at very small churches where mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we're talking about today would be would be difficult to to pull off. But each context is different. And I would say if you're listening to this podcast, the three men that we have as guests today would readily be glad to visit with you. You, you can contact them. And yeah, I'd expect your phones to start ringing. So <laughs> we'll publish all their phone numbers but, in the show but, notes. You know, the, <laughs> this, is, this is why we've asked these guys on the podcast today, because they're just such great resources for this. If this is something that you're considering, something you think maybe the Lord is leading uh, your church to do. So, All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Feeding and Leading. And we'll join you next time. This episode of Feeding and Leading has been brought to you by the Cooperative Program and Oklahoma Baptist. Visit us at oklahomabaptist.org or your preferred podcast platform. Oklahoma Baptist, advancing the gospel together.